Coming into the the second in our new series on Revelation, God wins, and uh, this morning we'll be looking at a passage from the end of Revelation chapter 1 verses 9 through to 20, and we're going to read those in a moment. The words will come up behind me on the screen. So if you're here for the first time, if you're visiting us, if you've uh, put your head around the door, this is your first time here, maybe you're a student visiting us. I've just turned up in Winchester. It's great to have you here with us. Um, If you're down staying with family or friends, it's great to see you. So we're going to read this passage. I'll read it and you can follow it behind me. This is what it says. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day... I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like the bronze glowing, were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen and what what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We're uh, uh, coming into quite an exciting season. The Rugby World Cup is about to start and I live in perpetual hope that Wales will overcome, defeat England and will win the World Cup. But I suspect I'm going to be disappointed You see, I've watched a lot of rugby uh, over the years. Most of it has been watched on TV. Occasionally, I've got to spectate in the stands. Uh, Not so long ago, Marcus and I went to see uh, Wales versus South Africa, which (laughs) Wales lost, sadly. And um, uh, one of the things you don't appreciate when you're watching it on TV or when you're sitting in the stands is how big these blokes really are. And the nearer you get to them, the bigger they become. Now, my cousin's husband, Clive, played a lot, played second row for Wales in 1980, 1981. He is now 66. He is still huge. He's massive. Now, the problem is that everybody that I stand next to, most, well, most of them tend to be massive. But they, when you get close to them, you realize how big they are. 
Now, at the opening of this, uh, uh, the book of Revelation, we get a close-up of Jesus Christ. We get a real view of him. And suddenly, we see how great, how awesome, and how magnificent he really is. You see, this is the only detailed description of Jesus' appearance in the New Testament. The Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, focus on his life, and, but they don't really give any hint of what Jesus looked like. That shouldn't come as a surprise. Isaiah, who wrote about uh, Jesus coming 700 years before Jesus appeared, he warned that there would be nothing remarkable about his appearance. There would be no standout features. He would be just like us. John Hosier, in his book, The Lamb, the Beast, and the Devil, says this. This note should be no surprise to us because he was a savior, not a film star. You see, all too easily we become familiar with Jesus' character, but we fail to appreciate how great he really is. It's as though we're in the stands looking on and he looks a lot smaller than we perhaps think he ought to look. As we come close to him this morning, we're going to see how great he really is. Is your view of Jesus just simply too small? You see, Revelation was written for ordinary people. It was written for ordinary churches that need a bigger view of Jesus. John tells us that Jesus walks among the churches and that Jesus is himself with us where two or three are gathered together. That's what Jesus himself said. So why is it we so often miss him in the busyness of life? I was out last week and Jamie Can was walking towards me and I just didn't see him. Jamie Can was standing in front of me in the high street and he said, hello Steve, and I, and I just had nearly missed him. I was so concentrating on what I was doing. I was actually looking at him, but looking right through him. Sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we, Jesus is right there and we just don't see him. We're looking right through. We're so consumed with what's going on in our lives. We're so full of the busyness of life, the things that are bothering us, and we miss him. Revelation hints at two things that John was struggling, two things that John was battling with. And the first is that he was going through difficulties He was exiled on Patmos. It was a 32-square-mile Roman Roman penal colony in the Aegean Sea. It was the Alcatraz of its day. It was bleak, it was barren, and it was inhospitable. Circumstances for John were grim. He was there because of his testimony about Jesus. Life wasn't panning out, I'm sure, as he would have hoped for. A lot of his friends had been had been martyred, had been killed. His letter is a salutary reminder to all of us that being a Christian, there's no health, wealth, and prosperity message. There are difficult times. We heard that from Debbie when Debbie was sharing that word earlier about difficulties and light and momentary troubles. 
Maybe you're going through difficulties. Maybe you feel a little like John. Life isn't panning out as you would have hoped. The second thing I think that John experienced was disappointments. We talked a a little bit about this last week. John, uh, we believe, was probably the the bishop of Ephesus. He was a, a father figure to the churches, the seven churches that this passage talks about, he was, would have been a bit of a father figure to them. He maybe even saw some of them planted, started. He would have had really high hopes for them. And yet, what he would have seen going on in those churches would have disappointed him. I'm sure he would have been disappointed at what he saw and what he heard about them. Maybe you're facing disappointments. Maybe life hasn't panned out quite as you hoped or expected. Maybe marriage isn't quite what you thought it was going to be. Maybe you've come to university and you're in your second and your third year and you're thinking, it's not quite what I was hoping for. Maybe your career isn't going in the direction that you want it to. Maybe you feel like life is passing you by. Maybe you're disappointed. If you are, if that's you, then you need a fresh vision of Jesus. You see, that's what John needed. And we're told that on the Lord's Day, on that first day of the week, on that Sunday morning, we're told he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And God wants to say, if you need a fresh vision of Jesus, you're in the right place this morning. And God wants to come by his spirit and he wants to reveal Jesus afresh to you. And you see him as he really is. He wants you to be caught up again in how wonderful his son is and how magnificent he is. There are four things I want to draw from this passage very quickly this morning. The first one is this, is that Jesus speaks to his church. The passage tells us that John hears a sound like a trumpet. It's loud. Trumpets in the Bible, they convey a message. uh, As you read through the Old Testament, you see on occasions that they refer, they always refer to that God was about to speak. So a sound like a trumpet, God's about to do something. God's about to speak into a situation. And the trumpet would tell people that it would be a call to worship or it would be about the enthroning of a king or maybe it was a spurring to action. You read about Joshua by the walls of Jericho and there were trumpets sounding all the time. The people were to shout and the walls would fall down. Sometimes trumpets were a call to action. Sometimes they were a warning of impending doom. You read about in Isaiah and Jeremiah about the sounding of the trumpet was, was symbolic of actually trouble was ahead. And the trumpet that sound, the, the voice that John hears that's like a trumpet is telling us something. It's telling us, it's telling us actually that there's going to be a call to worship because there is a king about to be enthroned. It's telling us that we need to be spurred to action, not to be passive in these days. And it's a warning to any who are here. 
who don't follow Jesus Christ to say, come, give your life to him. Because he's going to be enthroned as king and you need to be someone who's put your trust in him. God speaks today. And Jesus' voice, sounding like a trumpet, warns us and challenges us and provokes us about what lies ahead. Jesus is still speaking today. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the Bible. The Bible is God's word. It's God's inspired word. And so we believe it. As a church, we believe that God speaks through his word. It doesn't tell us how we can handle every single situation that we're facing. But it gives us principles and guidelines for living. It helps us. Let me give you an example. How many of you struggle with fear? How many of you struggle with fear? You struggle with fear? Lots of us struggle with fear, okay? Let me read you something from Philippians. Maybe as, as, if you struggle with fear, I just want you to stand because I want to read the word of God over you and I want you to listen to it. If you struggle with fear, just where you are, just stand and I'm going to read this to you. This is what God's word says. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I said again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Don't be fearful about anything it's saying. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus Paul is saying if you struggle with fear rejoice before God come before him with thanksgiving don't be anxious but present your request tell him what you need And God says his peace will come and guard your hearts. And then he goes on to say this. Think about things that are pure. Sorry, fix your eyes on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. When you are battling, instead of thinking about the negative, think about the word of God. Just think about the positive. Think about what's pure and right and noble and admirable and praiseworthy. Instead of letting your mind run on negative scenarios. And it says this, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God is living and active. And God doesn't want you to be filled with fear. God, by your spirit... Let this, the word of God impact each person here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. See, God speaks to us through his word, but he also speaks to us by his spirit. He speaks directly to seven churches in the book of Revelation about the real churches, real people, real situations. 
He still speaks prophetically to his church today for our instruction and encouragement. And so we give opportunity in, the, in our morning gatherings for God to speak. And so this morning we heard a word about, uh, about being fearful and uh, not giving in to what, being worried about light and momentary troubles. Looking beyond and seeing the big picture. And God wants to encourage you when he speaks to us specifically. And when he does that, those words need to be weighed because we don't always get it right. People who bring them sometimes mishear, so they need to be weighed, they need to be tested. But we believe that God speaks through his word and he speaks by his spirit. And so I am expectant every Sunday when I come here, I'm expecting for God to speak. I believe that God's going to speak through uh, the word, his word, the written word of God. I believe he's going to speak prophetically. Sometimes that comes when the person is preaching, touches something and there's something prophetic in it. Sometimes it's a word where someone shares a thing. I think there's people here and God's saying this to them. God speaks today. Jesus still speaks to his church. And his voice Jesus' voice, John says, is like the sound of rushing waters. It's like a waterfall. It sounds like it's powerful, it's impacting. Jesus' words change lives. His word is sharp and it's incisive and it's relevant. And when John heard Jesus' voice, it says he turned. So when God speaks to us, when we hear Jesus' voice, we need to do something. It's not about going, oh, that's interesting, and then carrying on the way we're going. It says, John turned. It says a strange thing. He says he turned to hear, the, the vo- to, 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 hear uh, to look for the voice that was speaking. How do you look for a voice? It's a bit strange, isn't it? But he turned. He did something. The Bible calls that repentance. So when God speaks to us through his word, when he speaks to us prophetically, it means we've got to do something. And God wants us to be a people who hear his voice and respond to what he says. Jesus speaks to his church. The second thing is that Jesus stands up for his church. Jesus takes responsibility for his church. This year we went to West Point and after last year our bit of a disaster with our caravan we ended up in this minivan that had, had no head height in it and I, I, I was really expecting, I'd said to the guy, can we have a caravan this year? He said, yeah, I'll sort you out a caravan. Little did I know his name was Gandalf and he was still thinking about hobbits because just before West Point I got a text from Barry Smith And Barry said to me, uh, the text just said, uh, your caravan has arrived, it is the same colour and size as Annette's car. (laughs) Now Annette's got a Fiat 500. I texted back, ha ha, very funny, and he said, no, no, really, it is. And then he sent me a photograph, and the photograph showed this van that was, well, it was a little bigger than uh, the thing we had last year. And um, in the moment, I've been responsible, I've dealt with him, um, but I knew what Annette was going to say. So I actually hid in the office and got someone else to send her a photograph and an email about it. I waited for the explosion and then shut the door of my office and hoped that she wasn't going to shout at me. 
Taking responsibility is something we don't like doing. We don't like taking responsibility. We live in a society where people are always the victim. It's always them that's the victim. They don't take responsibility for their own actions. Jesus stands up for his church. Jesus takes responsibility for his church. He never slopes shoulders. And John's description of Jesus that we just read, it talks about Jesus in this beautiful white garment with a gold band around his chest. And it was a picture of a priest, the high priest. And in the Old Testament, the high priest would go into the presence of God and would stand in the gap between the people and God, between a holy God and uh, foolish, sinful people who were going their own way, doing their own thing, turning their back on God. The, priest, the high priest would stand in the gap and he would present a sacrifice. This Jesus takes responsibility. He's one that stands in the gap for us. The Bible says that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, not only is he our high priest, but he's the one who is the, the, the sacrifice as well. He died on our behalf. On the cross, he died for the things that we've done wrong that keep us from a relationship with a holy God. Jesus takes responsibility for us. This is what it says in Hebrews 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus stands in the gap for us. Are you facing difficulties and disappointments? Well, you can come to a throne of grace this morning. God wants to help you. There is grace to help you in your time of need. You need to come and receive grace. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you earn. It's not about being good enough. It's about coming and receiving the grace of God. Jesus stands up for his church. Thirdly, Jesus empowers his church. Now that glorious car I was just talking about, that Fiat 500, which is the color, is called Casanova Blue. It's, I mean, it's not a bloke's car. Okay. Basically, what happens is there is a leak somewhere in the electrics. And if we leave the car for two or three days, the battery is flat every time had people look at it, can't find it. So when we go away, we have to park the car pointing in the right direction so that uh, I can get my car alongside it and we can jump, start the engine. We, it, it just leaks power. It leaks energy. The church is a little like that. We need constantly empowering. And it's Jesus who empowers the church. And there's a beautiful picture here of Jesus walking among the candlesticks, it says. And we're told that that's the church. So Jesus is walking amongst his church. And the priest, as he walked in the, 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 uh, the, in the presence of God, he, one of his jobs was to look after the candles. He had to keep the candle burning in the presence of God. 
He was responsible for trimming the wick and making sure the oil was filled up and the oil didn't run out and making sure that this lamp kept shining in the presence of God because it was a picture that, uh, that, that God is light and that Jesus is the light of the world and the priest had to keep that light shining. It was his responsibility. And Jesus does that in the church. He makes sure that we're equipped and we're empowered and that the Holy Spirit is amongst us. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants to equip us with his spirit. He doesn't want us to be running on empty. He wants us to be equipped and empowered. You see, the church is always intended to be a light on a stand, a city on a hill. Because Jesus is the light of the world, his church is meant to bring his light to the world around us. And so he wants us to be people who are fruitful and effective light carriers. And so he works on us, he shapes us, he prunes us, he, he deals with us, he fills us with his spirit. And he wants us to be people, a church, that are empowered by his spirit. He wants us to be a light to this city, a light to our neighborhood, a light to our workplace. He wants people to see the truth that he changes lives. And so when Steve is talking about Alpha this morning, there's a great opportunity for us to be light to the people around us. You see, we know that Jesus is the answer. His light shines into darkness and shows us a way out of our troubles and our difficulties when humanly there doesn't seem to be an answer. Only Jesus can meet the deepest need of the human heart. And so as we are embracing Alpha, as we look forward to that, I want to encourage you to be thinking, praying for your friends because they need to... Know the truth about Jesus. And Alpha is a brilliant opportunity for people to come and ask questions and find out a little bit more. And Steve's a great communicator. Let me encourage you to be praying. Who can I invite? When Steve says, think about who you can invite, let him be thinking about it, praying about it. Maybe you could help on this course. Steve would love your help. We're called to be a people who make a difference. Jesus empowers his church maybe you need to be filled afresh with the holy spirit this morning maybe you're running a bit dry maybe your light is starting to flicker a bit and the the problems and the pressures it just is just feels too tough jesus wants to fill you afresh with his spirit this morning paul's command is be filled with the spirit and the language he uses, it's a, it's a command, but the tense is be filled and go on being filled. We need daily to be filled with the Spirit. Finally, Jesus is jealous for his church. Jesus is jealous for his church. My daughter got married about uh, two years ago. And uh, she, uh, the Simon... who is now her husband Um, they started dating when she was about just under 15 and I remember I want to tell you I was jealous for my daughter 
I was jealous. I, they still talk about that talk I gave them when I drove them to Totten very slowly. They were a long time in the back of the car as I'm talking to them. Because I'm jealous for my daughter. I was jealous about their relationship. I was jealous that, that they would do it right and that they would walk rightly. Jesus is jealous for his church. He's fierce, fiercely jealous for his church. His eyes, we're told, are of blazing fire, flaming fire. He looks straight into our hearts. Sam Storm says of Jesus' eyes, here is intelligence burning, all-penetrating intelligence. Here is power to read secrets, to bring things hidden to light, to warm and search the hearts at a single glance. But his sharp look is one of inspiring warmth to the good as well as discomforting and consuming terror to the hypocritical and godless. Jesus' penetrating gaze looks into our hearts because he's jealous for his church. He's jealous for you. He wants you to love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. He's not satisfied with a little love. He wants all of you. He gave all of himself for you. The sword that comes from Jesus' mouth cuts both ways. It speaks about bringing judgment. Jesus is jealous for his church. He's he's not prepared to put up with nonsense in his church. He cares too much for it. He laid down his very life for the church. Jesus is fiercely jealous for his church. He has feet like... Bronze glowing in a furnace. It's a picture of Jesus' power and authority. In the Old Testament, a conquering king placed his foot on the neck of a, of a vanquished foe before executing judgment. The Bible tells us that God has placed everything under Jesus' feet. This is what it says in Ephesians. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Sometimes the church can look weak and defeated. Sometimes the church can look hopeless. But Jesus is determined that his church in Winchester will flourish. He loves his church. He will deal with everything that pollutes or damages its bride. Whether it's gossip, slander, compromise, the things that we do, the mistakes we make, or maybe the things that we don't do. Jesus is deeply committed to his church. He's deeply committed to Hope Church in a way that puts us to shame. I mean, he is always at every prayer meeting. He is at every meeting. He never misses out. He is committed to his church. We are to be a people that have his heart, who are jealous for his church. We're to be a people who follow him. Are we following Jesus? This Wednesday, we're kicking off a a six-month, once-a-month series, Following Jesus, about how we encounter God this coming Wednesday, how we encounter God through worship. 
It's going to be great. It's going to be practical. It's going to be helpful. Because we need to be those who follow him. Jesus wants us to be those who follow him, who are passionate about him and his church. Jesus is jealous for his church. So as we draw to a close this morning, are you disappointed in life? Maybe you're disappointed in Christianity. Perhaps you're disappointed with the church. Maybe you're disappointed with the church here. Maybe life is just too full of difficulties and you feel like giving up. Jesus wants you to encounter him this morning. He wants you to see him as he really is because he wants to work on your heart and he wants you to see that it's all worthwhile. These things are light and momentary troubles. He wants to change your perspective. Jesus is speaking to us. Will we turn like John? Will we fall down and worship him like John? Will we commit ourselves afresh to him? Jesus is standing up for you. He's standing in the gap for you. All you will ever need in this life will be found at the throne of grace. God promises grace to help you in your time of need. If you're struggling this morning, then you need an encounter with Jesus. You need to come to the throne of grace and receive help from him. Jesus wants to empower us. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants us to be a church that make a difference in this city. He wants us to be people who make a difference in our community, in our streets, in our roads. And he wants to trim us back in in areas, areas that he needs to cut things off, things that are perhaps dead and dying. But he wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants us to burn brightly for him in these days. Jesus is jealous for his church. He wants you to stop looking at the church through human eyes and see it as he sees it. If we do, how different will things be? The church is all about Jesus. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Maybe the musicians will just come and quietly join me back on stage. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been wondering what life is all about. Maybe you've, you've, this is your first time here. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. God wants you to know that his son stands in the gap for you. God wants you to know that he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. And all you need to do is put your trust in him this morning. You can do that today. Maybe you need to come and sign up and do Alpha. Maybe that's what you need to do at the end of this morning. Maybe you're just struggling with all sorts of battles, disappointments, difficulties. 
God is speaking to you today, saying, come to the throne of grace. There is all you need to see you through. Come and receive grace from God. Open your eyes. See him as he really is. Jesus Christ, the conquering king. Maybe this morning you've been battling. Maybe your attitude about things has not been great. Jesus wants you to put that right. He wants you to be passionate about the things that he's passionate about. He wants you to follow hard after him. He wants you to burn brightly for him in these days. He wants to fill you afresh with his spirit.